Welcome to the Healthy Podcast presented by Melrose Wakefield Healthcare. My name is Rob Branya, and I am pleased to welcome today's guests, Dr. Matt Brown, Chair of Surgery, Chief of General Surgery at Melrose Wakefield Hospital, and Dr. Adam Blau, Director of Robotic Surgery and specializing in general surgery and foregut surgery uh, at Melrose Wakefield Hospital as well. Uh, thank you both for being here, and welcome to the Healthy Podcast. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Um, today we're going to talk about robotic surgery, and robotic surgery has been around for, in some form for about 30 years. Uh, it's still regarded as revolutionary by many as it keeps evolving. Originally, it was developed to build upon weaknesses of minimally invasive surgery. So, Dr. Brown, tell us about your journey into robotic surgery and how the program at Melrose Wakefield was developed. Sure. Um, so I got interested in robotic surgery probably around 2014. Um, at that time, I was in private practice and uh, started picking up uh, uh, my robotics training at, at one of our other local hospitals. Um, during that time frame, what prompted me to, to approach it was that there were certain maneuvers or certain operations that were easier to perform or more uh, more technically savvy to perform robotically than trying to do it uh, laparoscopically. So I was fortunate enough that we had a, an excellent robotic surgeon by the name of Arlen uh, Fuller over at uh, Winchester that uh, worked as my proctor in the 2014-2015 timeframe to get me introduced to robotics and get my skill set up. And then from there, I continued to take courses. And um, somewhere around the 2017 timeframe, uh, our Melrose Wakefield Hospital was looking at redeveloping its branding and introducing uh, an improved surgical line to the public. And we were fortunate enough to have uh, a fellowship trained surgeon uh, looking for a job in the area that we had previously worked with. This was Dr. Blau, who was sitting next to me. And uh, we were fortunate enough to have him come on board. And with him coming on board, that allowed us to solidify the need for uh, a robot at Melrose Wakefield because we had this incredibly well-trained, fellowship-trained uh, surgeon that was going to help launch the program. So the program was essentially launched with Dr. Adam Blau and uh, myself. And, and while I picked up the skill set in the you know the 2014 timeframe, it was you know evident that Dr. Blau was an expert in this. So it was a good resource to have him on staff where we could go to the leadership and say, look, we have these very uh, capable surgeons that are interested in robotics. We have these trained surgeons like Dr. Blau that can start up a practice here and get it going. And we were fortunate enough that we were able to uh, invest in the Da Vinci robotic platform at Merrill's Wakefield. And since that time, um, around the 2018 uh, standpoint, uh, we've done incredibly well with uh, more robotic cases per month than our co-hospitals like Tufts and Lowell General combined. So we've done an excellent job getting that uh, built up at Mellows Wakefield Hospital. That's great. And Dr. Blau, um, so you're fellowship trained in robotic surgery. So you had a sense coming out of medical school and residency, I'm going to imagine, um, that this is where you wanted to focus your energies. Can you tell us a little bit about how all that came to be? Sure. So 
once you um, first gain exposure to surgery and you're going through training and so forth, you appreciate that there are a couple different approaches. Uh, there's the open approach to surgery where you make an open incision and you use your hands and your handheld instruments in order to complete an operation. And a lot of times you can perform the same surgery in a minimally invasive way. A laparoscopic approach is it, it was the next uh, sort of generation of, I guess, techniques, you could say, that was developed. And that's where you make small incisions and you put long instruments through the small incisions as, as well as a video camera. And the surgeon holds the long instruments and the video camera. And you can complete uh, all sorts of different operations that way. And when you compare that to the open approach, there are some substantial benefits for patients. As you can imagine, because the incisions are much smaller, the recovery is that much easier and quicker for patients. And often patients lead little or no narcotic pain medicine because they have less incisional pain. Often they, patients don't even need to be admitted to the hospital after surgery because they don't have the need for IV pain medicine. And it's really awesome when you see a patient that can return to their normal routine and work and lifestyle and so forth quicker. And it gives them a lot of, a lot of gratification. And, and so in, in turn, I think that's very gratifying for the surgeon. So when I kind of compared in my head this open approach to the minimally invasive approach, I really was drawn to the minimally invasive approach. And I knew that would be an important part of my, my practice. When I first then got introduced to robotics, I was further drawn to that because this was taking the laparoscopic minimally invasive approach and then building on top of that and using really as much technology as possible. And that continues to happen as the robotics is, is evolving further. But once I could appreciate the, the great benefits that, that patients get with the minimally invasive approach, the robotic approach, I was, I was sold. Um, and that's how I decided, all right, I, I would love to do some training in, in robotics. I was fortunate to, to get a fellowship in robotic abdominal surgery. And then, like Dr. Brown mentioned, everything worked out great in the sense that uh, we were uh, uh, prior colleagues and we kept in touch and, and there was this need at Melrose Wakefield to, to, to start a robotics program, knowing that this is arguably the current standard of care for surgery, if not definitely the future of surgery. And so Dr. Brown laid a, a, a multi-year long sort of foundation uh, to get that program underway. And we chatted and then um, we were able to, along the help with a, a lot of other people, get it going at Melrose Wakefield Hospital. That's great. Um, and, and I want to make a few things about robotic surgery clear uh, before we move forward. Um, you are the surgeons. You are in control uh, of, of the robot the whole time. You don't just press a button on the robot that's marked, you know, fix hernia, and then go and grab a cup of coffee. Um, and that might be a misconception. Yeah. Um, can, can you talk yeah, a little bit about that? Yeah, I think that's a good question. It's a really common question we get in the office, or at least I get. So I think the perception is that when you think of robotics, you think it's automated. And really the robotics portion of the of the equipment is that our instruments have wrists that allow us to mimic normal um, functional movements of our hands and our wrists. 
So if you think of laparoscopic surgery, you have instruments that don't bend or move in a, a, a natural way. So you're kind of limited to the up and down, left and right plane. And with robotics, you have the ability to uh, you know, manipulate tissue very similar to the way you would turn your wrist or flex your fingers. So the robotic portion is us using the instruments on the surgeon console, which is our controlling station, to uh, control the instruments to allow us to manipulate the tissue. Nothing's ever done automated. It's always under our direct control of our hand movements and our visualization of the equipment in the tissue. Great. And Dr. Brown, you also um, direct the surgical residency program um, from Tufts Medical Center at at Melrose, yeah, at so Melrose. correct, yeah. Um, so I'm the their community clerkship director, and and so that's actually been an incredible uh, experience, and it's it's been really interesting with the robotics. So when we first started robotics, um, the residents were getting very minimal exposure to robotic surgery. Um, there was an affiliation with another institution where they would get some exposure <clears throat> towards the end of their training period. So for them to become surgeons after their college, after their medical school, they have five years of training. And so we were initially exposing them um, at one of our other institutions, you know, in their fourth year of, of training, which at that point, they're almost at the end of their surgical training. So we were fortunate enough that when we had the residents start coming to Melrose, we got a first year and a third year resident, and uh, we were able to start introducing them to robotic surgery earlier on in their educational process. And for us, I think it's been incredible. We've been able to see and track their their growth and their skill set. And I kind of I will throw out this little anecdote: is when we have residents that operate us with us, um, they're assisting us, so they're not necessarily doing the operation by themselves in any sense at, at all. But they're helping us move through the operation, handle the tissue, and position the camera, and help us use some of the stapling devices and energy devices. But that skill set is something that has to build over years. And the story I'd like to share is that we had a prior resident that came out as a first year, got some exposure, came back as a third year, got more exposure. And then when he went back down to Tufts, he was asked to fill in for a cardiothoracic surgery. And in, in surgery world, that's a big deal because you know, general surgery is mainly the stuff in your belly, but cardiothoracics, you're up by the lungs and the heart. And the thing that was really interesting about this is this third-year resident was asked to go in and help out the cardiothoracic surgeon on the robot. And the cardiothoracic surgeon was blown away that this third-year resident was functioning like a fifth-year or a, or a thoracics fellow in his ability to use the robot for that case. And so... For me, that just shows us that if we get the education started at the beginning, not just using the robot, but how do you set it up? How do you troubleshoot it? How do you actually understand how the machine works? That we're seeing a great benefit and return in their education as they make it through their five years. That's great. That's a great story. Um, let's talk a little bit about the specifics of who actually is a candidate for robotic surgery, what types of procedures we're doing. Um, what types of, you know, how many other surgeons are using the robot? Um, and, you know, basic questions like, are all surgeries uh, performed robotically? Sure. So the key requirement to determine if, if a patient is a candidate for robotic surgery is that a CO2 gas has to be, 
has to be placed inside the abdomen to expand the abdomen to make room to work so that then the long instruments and the video camera can be placed and then the, the robotic arms hold those instruments. So if a person cannot tolerate having the CO2 gas in the belly, then they're not going to be a candidate for a robotic approach or a laparoscopic approach for that matter. And there are a lot of reasons why that's the case, but one common reason is um, while the CO2 gas is something that the body can absorb and we also um, expel it from the abdomen after the operation, it can, uh, it, it does increase the pressure inside the belly. And to some people, like let's say a patient that has an unhealthy heart, that could affect their heart. And so if you're concerned that that's the case, then you wouldn't offer a robotic or minimally invasive procedure to someone with that heart condition. And in that case, you would do an open operation. But I would say that that's really a, a very small minority of the time. And so most patients do qualify for robotic surgery. And to dovetail to that, so typically when we approach our surgical patients, outside of them seeing the surgeon, they also visit with the anesthesiologist and the primary care doctor. So by the time we are actually getting the patient, we usually are aware that they're cleared for surgery because they get to us usually through their primary care doctor. Um, and then when we visit with them, there's you know a consultation and we get a better understanding of their overall medical health. And as Dr. Blau was saying is, some people with frail hearts or poor heart function or some people with emphysema uh, or COPD sometimes may uh, not tolerate the, the CO2 gas in the abdomen under general anesthesia. So those are things that we, we look at, but in general, um, as Dr. Ball was saying, most of our patients can undergo that procedure and there's a small subset with cardiac or pulmonary issues that we have to just look at a little bit closer. Okay. And in terms of um, the types of procedures, um, I know I mentioned hernias early, earlier, but what are some of the other you know, common reasons why people would have a robotic surgery? We, we offer um, a wide array of robotic operations. Taking a step back, robotic surgery is really done, I like to say, all over the body. Like Dr. Brown mentioned, it could be done in the chest, whether you're operating on the heart or you're operating on the lungs. It can be used in the belly if you're operating on the intestine or you're, you're repairing a hernia. It can, be op it can be placed in the pelvis to do pelvic surgery. For example, OBGYN surgery, um, urological surgery. And we offer many of those operations at Melrose Wakefield. We started off, as, as you mentioned, Rob, with a lot of hernia repairs, whether they're inguinal hernias, which are groin hernias, umbilical hernias, hernias associated with prior incisions. And then we developed that further into more complex hernia repairs, uh, which are really repairs that, that may require an open incision with a lot of dissecting, but you can also do that minimally invasively too. So we offer those kinds of hernia repairs. We offer gallbladder surgery, robotically. We offer all sorts of intestinal surgery robotically, whether it's um, colorectal surgery, as an example, colon cancer or diverticulitis surgery. Um, other intestinal surgery may, might be if a person has a small intestine issue and needs an operation there, we can offer that robotically. And then the, the uh, foregut, which is the first part of the intestine, we off, offer foregut surgery. Specifically, we offer uh, anti-reflux or acid reflux surgery. 
we offer weight loss surgery, bariatric surgery, like a sleeve gastrectomy or a Roux-en-Y gastric bypass. And we can offer we can offer all of those robotically. In addition, we've expanded to offer urological surgery. And that means that a patient may need um, kidney surgery, which can be done robotically, or prostate surgery. Also, our gynecologists can perform hysterectomies robotically, um, take out ovaries robotically. So it, it's a pretty, pretty uh, large breadth of operations. And we feel that uh, that really is um, really part of the standard of care to be able to offer all of these different approaches. Okay, great. Another thing that we're excited about seeing that's evolving at Melrose is, as Dr. Bell was saying, is that we're expanding our uh, urology uh, support. So we've got an excellent robotic surgeon uh, that comes up from Tufts, and we have another one that's out here as well, Dr. Carpenito and Dr. Caesar, both do robotic surgery. And then we're also expanding into urogynecology surgery, which is uh, a combination of pelvic floor surgery in females that have um, you know, pelvic floor dysfunction or urologic issues, which is actually another subset of both gynecology and urology as well. So there's definitely some growth and expansion in our community with what we're able to uh, perform or complete out here. Yeah, and, j and just to elaborate on that, we try to offer, of course, the highest quality treatment. And um, we feel that it is wonderful to be able to do that in the community. And so our patients don't necessarily need to go to downtown Boston if we can offer that kind of uh, quality. Of course, we're not, um, every particular treatment is not necessarily in our wheelhouse. And if that is the case, then we know where to refer patients. But, but um, we are really, are really able to provide um, great quality care in the community. That's great. And earlier, Dr. Brown, you had mentioned that the program got up and running in 2018. Correct. Um, and in that short amount of time, in these, so you just celebrated a birthday. Correct. Yeah. Uh, so happy birthday to the uh, robotic surgery program. Um, but it sounds like you've been very busy in that time. Um, can you talk a little bit about sure. the volume? Yeah. So um, we are somewhere around the 1,300 cases uh, in, that we've completed. Um, 1,200 and some uh, in the last three years. And so that is actually an incredible number for a couple reasons. So on average, we're doing about 50 to 60 cases a month on the robot, which then translates to, you know, close to 500 to 600 cases a year. And so the interesting thing about that is once you start reaching that level of cases, it basically tells us that you are using the robot basically all the hours that it's available during the operative workday. So the interesting thing about that is we were able to prove that a community hospital starting a robotics program could not only meet the metrics of what they were doing downtown, but surpass it. So, and this is where I get to boast a little bit, not from my work, but from the whole team, uh, including Adam and all of our other robotic surgeons is that within the Wellforce system, which is our parent uh, corporation, we have Tufts Downtown, Lowell General, and Melrose Wakefield Hospital. And at Melrose Wakefield Hospital, in a given month, we will do more robotic operations than those other two campuses combined. And that's really interesting because 
that has shown, I guess, the academic community at Tufts that we can start teaching robotics, get it out in the community, and there's even more room to grow. And so one of the challenges that we're actually looking at now is that if we had a second robot, we probably could fill that as well. And we're trying to do kind of the mental gymnastics to squeak out a few more hours here and there to get more robotic time for some of our other surgeons that are coming on board. So I think from that standpoint, we've been able to grow and it's been interesting to see the morale and the momentum kind of watching this thing get its own legs and run by itself. Because initially, uh, I remember being in meetings where there's a lot of apprehension that, oh, the robot's going to sit, not used. You're going to only do, you know, 10 cases a month. And we were able to show that the need and the appetite in the community for minimally invasive surgery was out here. And also the recruiting power of having these young surgeons or, or, or talented surgeons or fellowship surgeons like uh, Dr. Blau and our urogyne colleagues and our urologists that we, we can attract this level of uh, attending surgeon to come out here because we have the equipment, the facilities, the OR staff, kind of all the network uh, workings in place in the OR to get them on the robot, get them taking care of their patients. And it's been an uh, interesting time to say the least. And to really to echo that, it's been awesome being a part of our team. I'm, I'm very, very proud of our team. And it's been really cool to see how the program has grown. So we, in 2018, like you mentioned, we started with uh, doing a few operations a week. Uh, the robot was not used every day by any means. And then we've worked it, uh, or, or sorry, worked it up or ramped it up, I should say, such that we're offering robotic surgery five days a week, every week. And the robotic operating room is, is being utilized all day long. Yeah, but even the, the cool thing about this too, sorry about the, the, the way I'm saying this, is that so in the past, it was always a challenge to do call cases on the robot, right? So if you think about it, when we are you know surgeons, we have our schedule cases, but then there's times when you get a gallbladder or a perforated something in the middle of the night. And the... For me, kind of the big switch off in my head was realizing that the OR staff could could and wanted to do the cases robotically even after hours, right? So, you know, at two o'clock in the morning, if you had a really sick gallbladder, yes, it is actually easier and safer to do it on the robot for some of the dexterity and the imaging capabilities. And when we first started, it was a very, you know, apprehensive time for our OR saying, oh, it's two o'clock in the morning, do you really wanna do it robotically? And now it's just the opposite. Like people are fully adopting it to the point where it's just a given that certain operations can can be performed safer, easier, quicker, more you know more expediently in a safer manner with the robot, regardless if it's during the normal work hours or on a Saturday or a Sunday or on a call day. It's a great story. Um, also, at the top of the podcast, I mentioned that robotic surgery continues to stay revolutionary because it keeps evolving. Um, where do you each see the future of robots in surgery and in medicine in general? I definitely agree that it's going to continue to evolve, and each generation of robots gets better and better, if you will. I think that um, the technology is already out there. So for, in other industries, for example, we already have cars that can practically drive themselves. And we already have the beginnings of artificial intelligence. 
And so I think some of those technologies can be used in robotic surgery. Now, I, I, I don't think it will be good to have anything automated per se, but for example, um, I think that future generations of robots are going to be able to learn how a surgeon likes to perform his or her operations. And maybe the robot could, can prompt the surgeon and, uh, and that potentially could make things more efficient and uh, an operation could be performed quicker. And so the patient has less time under anesthesia. So that's, that's an example of a benefit. And I also think that there's going to be more of a computer aided surgical approach uh, meaning, let's say a person has a colon cancer and we have a CAT scan that shows exactly where that colon cancer is located. Well, then, the I'm, again, this is a guess, but potentially the robotic technology will be able to combine the preoperative CAT scan and the results. And that sort of map would be available at the time of surgery and to help facilitate surgery. And once again, make the surgery a little bit more easier, a little more efficient, less anesthesia time, uh, and, and so forth. And then my, my other kind of thought about uh, the future of, of robotics is um, potentially in our lifetime, there could be remote surgery done. Once the, uh, the, the internet is quick enough, potentially you could have a surgeon in one location and a patient in another location in a location where maybe there isn't a surgeon with a particular expertise, but there is a, a robotic operating room. And so the surgeon in, in a different location that has the right expertise can, can operate on that patient safely. So that'll be interesting to see if that, if that uh, is a reality in the future. Yeah. I mean, I, I would echo the same thing for me. Um, you know, I think the AI or the kind of predictive uh, computer guidance is probably going to be something we're going to see. Um, you know, one example is if we talk about gallbladder anatomy. So a gallbladder is a structure that hangs off of one of your bile ducts, your main bile duct off of the liver. And when we remove gallbladders, we are particularly uh, conscious of where the, the main bile duct is and where the other structures are. And we use this um, special dye that lights up under laser light that shows us the anatomy. And so there's been some discussion of can the... Uh, technology help predict where aberrant or abnormal anatomy is based off of the layout of the way the structures look. Um, for me, that's kind of an interesting thought uh, concept. But, you know, for me, the thing that I feel is the the biggest, uh, I guess, area of improvement or where we're going with this is the educational component to it. Because when we operate with our resident docs in training, back in the laparoscopic time frame, um, you would have to show them where you want to uh, position stuff or walk around the table, reposition their hands, come back to your side, do some more. If you needed them to adjust the camera or what have you, you would have to you know, physically either move their hands or, or walk around the table and reposition them to help you get through the operation. And with robotic surgery, what we're seeing is that we can dynamically operate together. Uh, we have two surgeon consoles. And so when they're assisting me, I can take over their controls, position them where I want them to, give them back to them. And so there's more of a dynamic uh, uh, teaching process. And the other thing that we see too is that there's a lot of simulation that's coming out now. So our residents, before they get on the robot, are going through different skill sets, not tying, tissue handling, and even full operations are now 
simulated where you can actually move through an operation before they even get to helping us uh, assist in the operating room. That's great. Um, well, this has been uh, fascinating for me. Um, Dr. Matt Brown, Chair of Surgery and Chief of General Surgery at Melrose Wakefield Hospital. Dr. Adam Blau, uh, Director of the Robotic Surgery uh, Program at Melrose Wakefield Hospital, specializing in general surgery and foregut surgery. Uh, thank you so much for being here. Uh, this was great. Thanks. Thanks for having us. If you enjoyed this podcast or have feedback for us or want to suggest future topics, please drop us a note at community at melrosewakefield.org. The Healthy Podcast is co-produced by Melrose Wakefield Healthcare and our friends at Wakefield Community Access Television. For more information, listings of community events and lectures, or to find a doctor, visit melrosewakefield.org. All content heard on The Healthy Podcast was created for informational purposes only. This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or qualified provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition.